I promptly got new blisters on my, from my new shoes, and so now I'm limping everywhere. I, I apologize for the pace of, of life right now. Good to be with you this morning. Thank you for the, uh, the privilege of, of joining you as a group of believers gathered around every, the Word of God, and I pray that God's Word is encouraging to you this morning as we hear it. Let's just take a moment to pray as we hear God's Word. Heavenly Father, sanctify us by the truth, for your Word is truth. Amen. There are a few creatures in this world that produce asexually. That means they, they, don't, they don't need to have two people to, uh, to create an offspring. Things like worms and a few other uh, small creatures. But pretty much every creature on the planet, including human beings, has to have a mother and a father. Uh, every individual belongs to a family some way by blood. And the Christian position is that, in the, long, in the same lines, every Christian, by a physical connection through word and through baptism, belongs to something of a family, belongs to a group of believers. You, you can't be a Christian uh, in isolation. There, there's no such thing as the asexual reproduction of a Christian. You don't spontaneously generate. You've, you've got to be physically connected to some other people. Now, I, I know, though, at the same time that a, a lot of, not a lot, but some of you, um, some of you grew up in families that you would call anything but a family. There was absenteeism, there was neglect, maybe even, maybe even abuse. And if I ask you, so, you know, tell me about your family life growing up, you'd say, well, we weren't a family. So not every family that is a family by blood is actually a family. You're not really a family. And so here's where the lesson from the writer to the Hebrews today pushes on us a little bit. Just as not every physical family is is actually a family, not every group of believers is really a, a group of believers. There can be absenteeism, abuse, neglect, there could be all of those issues. Now, just because there are some of those things, um, well, let's put it this way. You can't expect the same dynamics in a congregation or in a group of believers that you find in a family. You're not going to have the same intimacy, the same transparency, the same honesty in a group of believers. That doesn't mean that the group of believers is not a healthy group of believers. You have to have different expectations for a large group of people than you do for a family. Still, not every group of believers is actually a a healthy or a real group of believers. Immorality can be very destructive. Take the example, the biblical example of Jacob and his two wives, Leah and Rachel, and then two concubines. When, When Leah finally had a child, she said, now my husband will love me. Wow, what pain, huh? That's, I, I feel terrible for her. What a, what a terrible thing she, she went through. And really, you're going to say that that family, that group of believers was a, a healthy group of believers? Uh, or, or take what Paul says about what greed does to us. He says the, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Um, greed can be really destructive as well to a group of believers. Most of us, we can't do 
much about the choices that people make about their physical lives and thus the physical connections that we have with them. What I mean is, if somebody is involved in immorality, you and I, we can't do much about it, can we? We can encourage them, we can kind of try to guide them, but there's not a lot to do about that. Uh, uh, we can't do much about if somebody is, is, is greedy. There's not much that we can do about that. We can do something about the non-physical connection that we have with people. We can do something about what we might call the spiritual connection with people, and that's what the writer to the Hebrews wants to put before us this morning. He challenges us, and he says, just because you think you're good at dealing with immorality, or, or you're good at dealing with, uh, with finances and greed, if you say that, what you're saying is the important stuff of what brings a group of people together is the physical connection. And, and the writer to the Hebrews says, no, there's something much more important to building this healthy group of people. If you focus on the non-physical connection, the, the spiritual connection that you have, you can really become a, a family, a spiritual family, a group of believers that is tightly bonded together. And so let's do that this morning with the writer to the Hebrews. Let's become a, a real family of believers. He starts it out this morning by uh, telling us how Jesus feels about us. And this is probably the, the most important thing to becoming this real group of believers. He tells us, well, it's a beautiful verse, verse 11, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. That's pretty credible, isn't it? That's just a, an awesome statement, especially when you start to think about the, the genealogy of Jesus. Uh, genealogies are not something that I encourage you to spend much time on. Uh, if, you, if you're just reading the Bible for the first time, I, I tell you, skip the book of Numbers, or at least most of it. Skip the book of First Chronicles, a, a lot of it, uh, and focus on the stories of Jesus and then the Paul letters. If you're reading the Bible for the fourth time, you should read all of Numbers. Got to read all the names. You just have to do it. There's one genealogy, though, that everybody should know, whether you've read the Bible once uh, or, or five times. At least you should know it a little bit. Tell me, do you know these names? Rahab, Solomon, Tamar, uh, David, Ruth. Do you know those names? Those are names from the genealogy of Jesus. Uh, do you know much about these uh, the people? Rahab? Rahab was a, a prostitute. Uh, Tamar committed incest. Solomon was probably the world's greatest polygamist. He had about a thousand wives. Um, David was a murderer and an adulterer. And who else did I leave? Oh, and Ruth. Ruth was a widow who was very eager uh, to get remarried. These are the people you know, that Jesus calls my brothers and sisters, they, they come from his own family line. I've got people in my life that say, oh yeah, I don't, I don't know them. I don't want to talk about them. Right? I, I, I jokingly distance myself from them. Jesus says, I'll call you brothers and sisters. What's he doing? He's identifying with us, isn't he? He's identifying with them and with you and me. 
on a, on a wonderfully deep level. You know, if, if somebody here at church loses their key, uh, they, they might not say anything. I, I've heard of people, you know, they don't say anything because they, they feel so ashamed about it. And, and Jesus says, I gave up the key to heaven so that I could come and be with you. you know, and, and if one of us, we, we do a bad job cleaning and somebody says something to us and we feel ashamed about it and so we never want to clean again, which, which happens. Jesus says, I, you know, I gave up the cleanliness of eternity and of heaven and God himself so that I could come down into the mess and the muck and the pigsty of this world. I just want to, I want to be with you. He's not ashamed at all to call us brothers and sisters. And what's, what he's done by saying this, by, by doing this, is he's, he's pushing our attention away from the physical things we think hurt our connections. We, we might naturally think to ourselves, oh, you know, that immorality, that really hurts our connections and greed. And, and it does. If somebody among us, uh, if greed and immorality become commonplace, you know, that changes the way that we relate to one another. But Jesus says something far more important will connect you spiritually with one another. It's when I identify with you. It's when I, when I connect with you. I'm not ashamed of you. No matter what you feel about yourself, no matter what you've gone through in your life, no matter how bad things are for you. Jesus is not ashamed to connect with you, to identify with you. That's how he feels about you. And so what can we feel about one another? That's what he says next. So first it's, here's how he feels about us. Then it's, how can we feel about each other? In verse 14 here in this lesson, Jesus says he shared in their humanity to break the power of death and to free those held in the fear of death. And so what he says is, you and I, lots of people, we live in the fear of death. Now, I don't think I really live in the fear of death. I don't think a lot of people live in the fear of death. I do a lot of funerals, and so I, I, I see, you know, death. I, I visit a lot of uh, sick people. I see death pretty regularly. I, I don't fear death. I fear the insignificance of my life. <laughs> I fear the shortness of my life. Um, and, and what I do fear is I think about my parents' death. And I fear the changes that their death will have on my life. I fear the death of my family members and the changes that their death will have on my life. I fear the, the death of my friends and how that affects me. That's what I fear. And what I fear then is the loss of connection with the people I love. That's shame, right? Okay, I don't know. Shame is simply the fear of the loss of, of connection. Um, another way to say what uh, what the writer to the Hebrews is talking about here is, is using uh, psychologist Sigmund Freud. Maybe Sigmund Freud, he's a kind of a crazy guy, and, and so you probably don't think real highly of him, but he said every now and then something that's pretty helpful. One of the things he said about uh, 
about everybody is that we have, we have at the one point of our, in our consciousness a death wish. Everybody's got regret and shame and guilt and, uh, and a feeling of unacceptable, unacceptability. We feel like we're not good enough. And so we kind of have this death wish. We want to get out of life. At the same time, we have a, a fear of death rolling around in our consciousness. And what this does is it creates a conflict in us. We, have, we hate it. We, we repress all of this conflict in our minds about regret and guilt and shame and remorse and, and the fear of death. Now, if you come home at the end of the day and somebody says to you, how was your day? And you say, fine. It's fine. You don't feel much of a connection to the other person, do you? There's no connection there. And, and in the same way, if, as, as Sigmund Freud is saying, if we've got this fear of death and we repress it, we push it down, what that means is we are not connecting with one another about the thing that is on our mind more than anything else. We are, we are repressing from our lives together the thing that, that occupies our thoughts more than anything else, the, the shame and the guilt that we carry around, the remorse that we carry around, instead of putting it out there for us to handle, for one another to, to, to love and accept and then to get rid of, we are taking the thing that could possibly connect us and help us and we're just pushing it back. It's no wonder we can't incorporate people then into our lives, he's saying, because we've got the power of death pushing us down and pushing us away. And we need to break that power of death. What, what Jesus has done is he's broken both death itself. He brings life to light so that you don't have to fear the loss of somebody else. And he also breaks the, the power of the fear of death. So there's no guilt, there's no shame, there's no remorse. You can live in forgiveness with each other. Jesus does this, he, he incorporates us into a group of people. Now, we saw a really neat illustration of this the last few uh, weeks here in America but it's neat in part because it took three people to pull it off. And I think everybody's at least seen a little bit of it. Uh, it's the court case of, or the trial of, of Amber Greger down in Texas. Uh, Amber Greger was this Dallas police officer who shot a young man named Botham Jean. Uh, and naturally, you can imagine as we're watching this court case together, Amber is feeling a lot of shame. She feels tons of shame. She, she fears that she will lose a connection with her family. She fears that she's going to lose a connection with her fellow police officers, and, and she fears she will lose a connection with society as a whole. She won't be able to be part of, of society. And this week, then, we saw the brother, Brant Jean. Maybe it was this week. Maybe it was last week. I can't remember. Was it last week? get on the stand, and he made this very powerful testimony. Did you, did you watch it? He said that he forgave her. 
Specifically, what he said was this. He said, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. It was an incredibly powerful moment. The brother of this man who was shot forgave the officer right in front of everybody and got down and he hugged her. Maybe just as significant, and it went kind of unnoticed, was what mom said. Allison, Allison Jean, who was mom, you know, she said, yeah, forgiveness is important. Forgiveness as, for us as Christians is a healing for us. But as my husband said, there are consequences. It does not mean that everything else we have suffered has to go unnoticed. What is she saying? She's saying justice matters. We've got we to deal with the death and the murder, the violence. It's terrible. We've got to handle that thing. And she's right. It's awful. Who is going to pay the price? Who's going to deal with all of the consequences? And the answer is, is we all do, don't we? I mean, Allison does. She takes away Amber's shame. And, and Brant does as he hugs her. And, and you know who else does? Botham does. Botham who, who died so that Amber could be forgiven. You see how, how powerful what Jesus does then really is? See, Jesus is all three genes, isn't he? Jesus is the gene who says, I forgive you. I take away your regret and your guilt and your shame, and, and I want to make you part of the family. Jesus is Allison who says justice matters. There has to be a death. You've got, somebody's got to pay for the price and the consequences. And, and then Jesus is Botham who says, I'll give up my whole life. I'll die so that you can be part of the family. Jesus is, is all the genes. I just wanted to really say that. It sounds fun, right? Jesus is all the genes. Um, but he, he's the guy who says, come back into the family. I'll bring you all in. And you can accept and love one another you don't have to fear the loss of connection anymore because life lives. Forgiveness lives. Eternity lives. Resurrection lives. Be part of this family. Jesus incorporates people, we do, into the group. So what do we do with this? How do we make this into a reality in our lives? So far, what we've heard is, here's how Jesus feels about us. He, he identifies with us. Then we, how do we feel about each other? We incorporate people into our group. We don't push people apart. We, we bring out the guilt, shame, the remorse. We forgive each other. Lastly then, how do we make this a reality? Verse 18, it says this. He says, Jesus is able to help those being tempted. He's able to help those being tempted. I bet all of you sometimes in life get some unsolicited advice, huh? Um, you get advice that you don't want. Do you do a pretty good job taking advice that you don't want? No? I, I, yeah. Uh, how many of you do a good job asking for help? I'm seeing a lot of, eek, no, right? What Jesus is saying here is, this is the place to ask for help. Right? This is the place to ask for help. I've identified with you. I bring you into a group of people. 
ask for help. Here's, here's just two simple ways, right? You've got to take, take somebody and you say to them, here's what I'm seeing in my life lately. What is God telling me? What's God saying to me? Or, or you take somebody and you say, here's what I read in, in God's word lately. What is God telling me? Ask someone for help with your heart. Tell them what's going on in, in your heart and ask them for help with your heart. That's how you become a real group of believers. That's how you become a real spiritual family. And you will then, as you incorporate people into your life, as you identify with them, you will discover the power of Jesus who gave up his life so he could call you brothers and sisters. Just ask him for help with your heart. Let's pray for that, huh? Heavenly Father, we we thank you that you sent your son to incorporate us into your family and as he identified with us. We have to admit, we we ask for, for, um, for your forgiveness because more often than not, we... We think it's the physical stuff, um, the immorality, the greed, and, and all of those problems that, that really hurt our family, uh, even our spiritual family. But in, in truth, in re- reality, it's the, it's the spiritual stuff. It's the fact that we don't speak of guilt and shame and remorse and our lack of acceptance that really hurts the connection that we have as a family. We ask for this forgiveness, Jesus, and we ask that you would take away our, our fear of death so that we might live with humility and accept one another. As we ask for help with our own hearts, make us a family of believers, the true community of God's people, where your power lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.